Well, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Malachi. And if you don't know where that is, it's the last book in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12 today. Next week, we'll finish our study through the book of Malachi, and then uh, we'll kind of share where we're going for the rest of the spring. But today, we'll be in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, we... Um, we just continue, even in this moment, our, our praise of you, confessing that um, you're our Lord, our God, and you're going to be our Lord, our God forever. And there's such a glorious eternality about the gospel that your work on the cross has dealt with our sins in the past. It holds us sure and steady in the present. And you promise to, to preserve us and uphold us for eternity, carrying us into your presence. And so, Lord, as we sit here in the present, I pray that no matter what struggle we're facing right now, maybe it's a sin struggle, maybe it's a, a trial in life, Lord, I pray that we would not lose hope and that we would really rest in the fact that you don't change. You are love. And you extend love to us, and that doesn't change. No matter how we blow it, that doesn't change. You don't love us more when we're faithful and love us less when we fail, but you just love us with this steadfast, unconditional love. And Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, I pray that as we step into what is frankly a, a difficult passage, and I, and I think of a hard passage sometimes for us to hear from, from the prophet. I pray, Lord, that, that we would keep this passage in the context of the fact that you are unchangeable and you desire to bless us and that that never changes. And so, Lord, I pray that we would hear from your word today. I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, some have said that sin is kind of like the, the talons of a, of a big bird sitting on your shoulder where he kind of slowly and, and maybe subtly gets his, his talons just embedded into your shoulder. But the problem is, is then when you need to rip that out, it becomes pretty painful. It's also been said that, that sin is like a root canal. So kids, if you eat too much candy or you forget to brush your teeth, well, you might think in that moment, okay, it's not a big deal. Maybe I got away with something. But, but you might have this, this moment of truth, this judgment day when you go to the dentist, when you've got to have a root canal. Some uh, Hemingway says this about bankruptcy, and I think there's a parallel to sin. He said that when somebody asked him, how did you go bankrupt? He responded, well, two ways, gradually and then suddenly. And sometimes sin works that way, right? Well, like we can have these sinful perspectives and behaviors, and they can just kind of sink into our hearts and our lives in this, this slow and subtle way, but then the consequences, they strike pretty suddenly. Well, today we're talking about a, a particular sin struggle, and we're in, in the fifth sermon through uh, the book of Malachi. And, and I say it that way, it's, it's actually five of six sermons, because Really, this book is, I think, kind of structured in a sermon way. I, I think these are actually summaries of the prophet's sermons. And they, they take this unique structure in the sense that they, they take a, 
kind of a rhetorical approach that, that is a dispute structure. And it's based on questions. So sometimes God's people ask God questions, and he answers them, and then sometimes God asks his people's uh, questions. So it kind of takes this back and forth. So we've, we've, we've titled the series with a question, Who Cares? And that gets to the problem that is being dealt with in the book of Malachi, which is spiritual apathy or, or heartless orthodoxy. In, in other words, these people, if, if you ask them to take a theology quiz, they would probably pass. They would, they would check all the right boxes, but it, but it stayed in their head and it wasn't filtering down to their hearts. They were, they were just going through the motions. And what we've seen throughout is, is that when you don't care about God, you're to ponder deeply that he cares about you. When you uh, aren't faithful to him, the good news is, is that he still loves you. The good news is, is that his love is steadfast. He's made these covenant promises to you, Malachi 1-2, and he always calls us then to return, Malachi 3-7. Today we're specifically talking about the topic of tithing. And tithing for me is a really difficult topic to talk about. And, and we actually, uh, I actually preached a sermon on tithing last year. And, and in that, I, I shared that this is a struggle for me because there's always a fear of man with me when I talk about tithing. Inevitably, somebody's going to get mad, okay? And I, and I just kind of have to, to deal with that. And so sometimes I, I, I found that I really lack courage uh, teaching to this issue. And in fact, we, if you think, man, you did back-to-back years on this, and if you're a visitor, welcome. We don't talk about tithing every week. I didn't talk about tithing for 10 years, okay? So that, that rings true. But we're doing it back-to-back because, uh, you know, I, I found that, you know what, I, I'm probably doing our people a disservice by never talking about it. But, but I do have to have a soft heart and thick skin with this. But, but there's a, a virtuous aspect of me being sensitive to this topic because it is a common critique that, okay, pastors are really just kind of about getting your money, okay? And listen, I, I've been in churches where I've kind of wondered, man, that kind of felt pretty manipulative, okay? And so as I've wrestled with my own heart on this and kind of admitted, okay, fears that I have on this, I, I think it's also fair for me to say, okay, I do have a, a clean conscience on some things. I, I don't think I'm ultimately motivated for m- money or, or trying to manipulate anybody. I, I think I do work hard to be generous uh, with our money, and I do think I, I try to work hard to be uh, do what's best for our church financially. And I also want to say that I, I, I'm actually really proud of our church in the sense that that I think we have operated the whole way through with a lot of integrity with our finances, and, and that really has a lot less to do with me and, and more about you because we have trustees and, and elders and bookkeepers that that all keep their eyes on this and plan the budget. And listen, I think we've always managed our funds in a way that are, that are both conservative but also faithful. So we're not wasting money, but we're also not hoarding money. And we've, we've taken these faithful steps. And so I'm, I'm really proud of our leaders on how they've managed money in this church. However, for most people, our struggle with tithing is really rooted in a, in a lack of trust in the Lord. And let's be frank, it's also rooted in, a, in, a, in an idolatrous love of material things. Therefore, today, the prophet's going to call us to return to the Lord by returning to tithing. But, but be encouraged because he's going to frame it all uh, around this truth that God never changes. And there's kind of two sides to that. But, but he also is going to bookend this with a call to that he wants to bless you. So in other words, turn to tithing because God is with you and he's for you and he wants to bless you. And listen, all that's important because the, the, that is good news when you're trying to maybe rip out uh, the talons of that bird out of your shoulder on this issue. 
This passion, uh, this passage helps us turn from a lack of trust in, in the Lord. It helps us turn from this idolatrous love of material things, and it helps us return to something better. So the first charge I want you to hear is, is a call to return to the Lord. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how, have, how shall we return? So God begins his sermon on tithing with this truth that he does not change. One of my favorite names about the one of my favorite names of God that he gives himself is I am. Remember the burning bush uh, scene where he says, who should I tell them sent you? Well, tell them I am has sent you. Jesus claims that uh, title in, in John chapter 8. And what's behind that I am is, is that God doesn't change. He doesn't grow. He doesn't improve. And the reason is, is because he's already perfect. He doesn't need to change in any way. So this truth about his nature, he doesn't change. That affects his covenant promises. So, so the things that he calls us to and the promises that he makes, he's going to keep those promises because the, the guarantor of that, if you will, is his nature, this, this nature that doesn't change. So if we say, is he really going to be with me or for me in that trial? Really what you're doing there is you're questioning not only his promises, but you're questioning his nature that is behind those promises, and he does not change. He doesn't need to change. Therefore, we can trust him. Now, listen, that's very good news for sinners, okay? And listen, if you're a sinner, which you are, then that's very good news. And I want you just to hear three passages about the good news for sinners. And then, and then I want us to look at them through the lens of, yeah, but what if God changes? Romans 3, 23 to 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So God's promise in that passage is, is to graciously justify sinners through the redeeming work of the cross. So he's done one good work for you that covers all your sins, and therefore your good works, those many good works where you're trying to reach up to him, they're never going to be good enough. And you're not to trust in your many good works, but you're to trust in his one good work. And the second passage on John 1930, based upon all that, as Jesus is dying on the cross, you remember what he said? It is finished. What was finished was, is his work was done. Thus the wrath of God was satisfied. Your, your sins were paid for. And therefore, God's righteousness is then applied to you. Luther said that it was an alien righteousness. It was a, it was a righteousness outside of you, imputed to you. God's righteousness was given to you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he, God, made him Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that good news? Friends, but what if God changed his mind? Again, I want you just to, to hear the good news of the fact that he doesn't change. What, what, if, what if he's the type that doesn't keep his promises. Like, looking back at those passages, what if he said, okay, yeah, that's true. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God, but I've changed my mind. I'm not, I'm not going to give them what they deserve. I'm not going to give them mercy and grace, but I'm going to give them what they deserve. Like, what if God grew or developed or, or, or changed in some way? And he said, yeah, 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 I know, 
I, I said that it's finished, but it really isn't finished. Like, I now want you to bear some of the cosmic weight of your sin instead of me just bearing it. Like, like what if he said, I've changed my mind and I'm not going to apply my righteousness to you anymore? Listen, friends, if God is a changing God, then we don't have real lasting hope, right? Sinners, we have a hope because God does not change, amen? Isn't that your hope? That he does not change. That's the good news of this passage. Therefore, sinners, when we sin, we always have an opportunity to return. You always have an opportunity to repent and turn to the Lord. In other words, it's never too late. Like, picture the guy next to Jesus, the thief on the cross, next to him, dying, and in his final breaths, he professes faith in Christ. He turns, he repents, and Jesus welcomes him into paradise that very day. It's never too late. One of my favorite things in uh, being a pastor and in the life of our church is to meet empty nesters and, and talk with you guys and, you know, I get to know you. And, th- and then I'll meet empty nesters and they'll, they'll say things about their life, maybe from their 20s and 30s. And I think that's, that's not even the same person. And the best part is, is when I say that, I'm like, man, you're in your 60s. You're talking about when you, when you were in your, that's not even the same person. And and the, and the coolest thing when I say that is many times there's kind of this smirk and they say, yeah, that's how God's changed me. I, I, I'm not the same person anymore. And, and listen, I, I share that because I think young people, you need to understand that one of the healthy aspects of being in a church is getting to know people at all different ages. And, and, and it's so healthy to know people who are maybe a, a step or two ahead of you for you to see how God has worked in their life through the journey, Okay. God is, is with us and he transforms us, but sometimes it takes time. But be encouraged as long as you have breath, God is still using you and God is still changing you. In other words, you always have an opportunity to return to the Lord. It's never too late. So God, through Malachi's fifth sermon, he is calling his people to return to me. And then he says, I will return to you. God never changes. He always keeps his promises. And if you will return to him, he promises to return to you. You might be asking, okay, what does it mean to return to him? Well, I, I think that begins with the condition of your heart. It, it begins with what's going on on the inside. When God's word clearly calls you to believe a certain way or, or to live a certain way, then, then that means that, that you need to do a heart check in that moment. And, and let me just, you know, maybe give you a, a check engine light to help you in that moment. Like, like, like if you feel no guilt and no shame, and yet God's word clearly says this, you don't believe that or you're not living that way, and you feel no guilt and no shame on it, friend, you're at a dangerous place. That's a dangerous moment, okay? And, and you need in that moment to do some heart work. So step one on returning to the Lord is to ask him to change your heart. Returning to the Lord begins with this heartfelt conviction about your sin, but it doesn't stop there. Returning to the Lord doesn't just stay on the inside. It's got to then spill over to the outside. So step two, if you will, in returning to the Lord is changing your behavior. So out of that change that that happened on the inside, it then needs to spill out to the outside where there's genuine life change. And listen, this is a spirit-empowered reality. So if the spirit is convicting you, he's also there to help you. He's called the helper for a reason. And so if you're having trouble changing on the outside, Friend, you have a helper to help you, tra- to help you change, so call out to him for help. 
But ultimately, returning to the Lord is about a God-glorifying life. And so step three on returning to the Lord is to persevere in that faithfulness, to, to not give up. Again, like conviction and that initial change, perseverance, that's a spirit-empowered reality. That means you wake up every morning asking the helper to help you in those different areas. But why did these initial readers, why did they need to return? What, what, how did their hearts need to change? What, what did they need to return to doing? What, what, what aspect of their life did they need to persevere in faithfulness? The answer to those questions is tithing. What he says in these final verses from 8 to 12 is a call to return to tithing. Verse 8 says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Well, in your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there will be no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Your, and your vine and your field will not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. The clear teaching of the first couple of verses, 8 and 9, is that God viewed them not tithing, and thus they were robbing him. From God's perspective, they were taking what was his. Now, uh, this, of course, is not the perspective that you want God to have of you. Let's be clear about that. But, like, that's not, a, that's not a safe place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. If God's perspective of you is, hey, you're robbing from me, you're dealing with a lion that, that you can't battle with, okay? But, like, he's more powerful than you. He's more just than you. You need to receive that discipline from him. Friends, no matter how you interpret the meaning of the tithe for the New Testament church, understand this is an important issue to God. No matter what you do with this text, take it seriously. What God is saying here is he has this, this tone of seriousness here. He, he's angered by their behavior. He views uh, their giving as a heart issue and as a discipleship issue. And we're to view it the same way. So we can do all these theological gymnastics. Or we can, and we can have these honest conversations about what the tithe is and what it isn't. What is the storehouse here? And what are the differences between the Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church? But at the end of the day, you're dealing with the creator God. And, and he reserves the right to be angry over this issue. He's angry in this instance because his people were robbing him. And thus he reserves the right to curse instead of bless. We have to start with that reality and that tone as we step into this. So the question is, what is a tithe? Well, I think to answer that, you've got to go back just to the meaning of the term. The Hebrew meaning of the term simply means tenth or ten percent. So a tithe is not just doesn't mean general giving. It speaks to something specific, specifically ten percent. Therefore, if somebody says, okay, well, I give two percent of my income, so I'm giving to the Lord. You are giving to the Lord, but, but, but it's not a tithe. That's just something different. So it speaks to 10%. I, I, I listed a couple, or I, I think I listed three uh, passages in your bulletin just for you to go back and reference to to understand the issue of tithing better. But let me read them for you make a couple of comments. 
The first one that's listed in your bulletin is Deuteronomy 14.22. That says, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. What's helpful about that passage, it's just the clear command to tithe. So God's people were to give 10% of what they uh, earned to the Lord, and that was to be part of their worship. Now, if you skip down uh, further in Deuteronomy 14, he goes on to explain how the tithe was part of their worship. It was to be given to the, the Levites, the priests, who, and it was in support of their religious ministry, and that God approved the tithes because Deuteronomy 14.29 then connects their faithful giving of tithes to God's blessing. The next passage is Leviticus 27.30, and it says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. What I think is helpful there is it highlights that it was to be 10% of their profits no matter their business. So they had an orchard, they were to give tithes of that. If they were farmers, they were to give a tithe of that. If they were ranchers, they were to give a tithe of that to the Lord. And then finally, Numbers 18.26 says, Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, when you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I, give, that, that, that I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. So this gets kind of into the, the mechanics of the Old Testament uh, uh, worship system where, where you had a, an entire tribe of priests that they were to uh, uh, administered the worship for the people. So they managed the temple. They, they taught the word. And then they oversaw all these religious practices of sacrificing the animals. So they, they, they managed all of this for the people of God. And, and God's people to, were to support all of that. They were to support all that religious work by, by giving to these priests who were doing this. But, but then it notes that the priests were not exempt from the tithe either, that they were also, as religious workers, they were to give a tithe of the tithe. But, but, but what's the contemporary equivalent of the storehouse? If, if you go back to verse 11, it says, okay, bring the tithe into the storehouse. Well, of course, in Malachi's day, that's talking about the temple. Well, we don't have the temple anymore. The, the temple doesn't even exist in Jerusalem. What, what is the New Testament equivalent of the temple? What's the storehouse for today? Well, I think the, it's clear that the gospel says that the church is the temple. You and I are the temple. The Spirit of God doesn't dwell in this place. He dwells in our hearts. The, the, the veil of the temple has been torn, and the Spirit has gone out, and he now lives within his church. So the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament temple is the church. So I believe that the best case you can make for a parallel between the Old Testament temple, when we're talking about the storehouse, is the New Testament church. This local body of believers who have covenanted together to, to, to walk with each other this spiritual journey and then to go and make disciples of our community. There's a lot of wonderful Christian, gospel-centered, evangelistic ministries out there, and, and they're all doing great work. And I'm personally, I'm grateful for all of them. And I'm grateful for anyone who just kind of steps out, especially with the leadership of the Spirit and saying, listen, I'm going to go serve God in this way. However, when you look at the New Testament, you don't see them starting seminaries. You don't see them, you know, starting orphanages. Both of those things are wonderful things. But, but what you see them doing is planting local churches. 
And what that local church was meant to be was this institution that was permanent, that just stayed. It became self-supporting. And it was this institution that just stayed in a community and perpetually made disciples. That just continued to bless the community for generations. So functionally, think of it this way. If all those wonderful charities and ministries went away, they would certainly be missed in a community. But if the churches went away, the churches went away in a community. There would be this essential thing that would be, that would be lacking. I heard it said in, in seminary that parachurch ministries tend to rise up where a church is failing. And, and, and I think that's a good way to think of it. However, you can't do all of the great commission in a parachurch ministry in the ways that you can do it in a local church. Even the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. No parachurch ministry can do all of that in the, in the way that the local church can because that's the mission of every local church. God has chosen to accomplish his mission of making disciples primarily through the local church. And that's why the covenant members of this church have made this sacred commitment that we're going to give 10% of our income to the Lord through Redeemer Church so that we can make disciples in this community and then around the world. Now, theologically, when we don't give the tithe to our local church, I believe what Malachi 3, 8, 9 is teaching us is that God is saying in that moment, we're robbing him. But functionally, when we don't give uh, tithe, it limits the effectiveness of a local church. And again, that's why God takes all of this so seriously. However, consistent with his nature, with his redemptive plan, God also promises blessing in this passage. Like if you look again at verse 10, he makes this unique challenge here in verse 10, doesn't he? I can't think of another passage where he does this. He says, test me in this. There's a challenge here. He says, listen, I promise to bless you. That's my promise to you. And, and I'm going to go so far as to say, test me on this. Like, like that's a unique moment that he promises to bless you, and then he, he challenges you to see if it will happen. Now, the idea of a blessing in the Old Testament, that, that, that's, kind of, that's a tricky bridge to cross over into the New Testament, okay? So I, I don't think if you tithe that, it, that it, it's going to, like, ensure that a church will never have challenges, okay? And, and I think if, if you tithe, like, that doesn't ensure that you're, company's never going to go bankrupt. If you tithe, I don't think that that's going to ensure that you're always going to have perfect health, that your marriage is never going to have problems. God refuses to be manipulated with those type of equations, okay? So if you're tempted to do that, just know that God is not manipulated. However, at some very real level, and as a New Testament Christian, I think we need to see this, faithfully tithing, it does still bring blessings. And in fact, I believe being faithful in this area of our lives, it brings something better than health, wealth, and prosperity. I think it brings a better blessing than those things. I think at the end of the day, the blessing is communion. You're sanctified. You grow closer to the Lord and looking more like Him. And then when you grow closer to Him and you look more like Him, what does that do to your heart? That's where joy is found, right? Tithing is part of all of that. So I believe what God is is doing is he's challenging us to test him to see if that's true. I believe what he's saying here is saying that, listen, make me your treasure. If there's this other treasure 
that you're holding on to with that 10%, whatever that is, I'm saying, I'm a better treasure. Trust me with that. Believe me with that. Come experience the joy of growing closer to me and growing more conformed into my image. So when we struggle uh, to give to him, that's, that's a heart issue. And he's calling us to, to trust him. And, and specifically, and, and dads, I don't know where you are with this. For me, on, on you know, issues with, with money, it, it's not about this thing that I want. It's, it's really more about the future. And so this is not only trust me with your money, but it's trust me with your future. I believe God is saying trust me with this passage. Trust me and see if you will find a better blessing than whatever is going to come with that money. You're going to find something better with him. He's the better treasure. So return to the tithe. Talking about tithing is tough, but, but I want to I encourage you to diagnose your heart today. You need to trust him more with your money and with your future. And, and remember, Jesus died on the cross to give you a good future, right? Romans 8.30. For those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he also justified, what does he say? In the past tense about your future, he will also be also glorified. That's your future, friend. God has promised you a good future. And you know how we know that's true? Because God doesn't change. He never changes. That promise is secure, friend. You have a, a good future with him. Do you believe that? Do you trust him? Do you trust him with your future? And do you trust him with your money? He had a, we, we had a trustee in the early years of our church and at, at member meetings, uh, he would say that if you aren't giving, begin to give. And if you are giving but you're not tithing, begin to tithe. I thought that was a good formula, but I'll add a third one to that. Uh, I would add that if you're tithing but not from a glad heart, I would encourage you to give from a glad heart. Like what I'm saying is, is pursue joy through your giving. Like, like don't be like the Old Testament saints in Malachi where, where they're, they're orthodox, but it's a heartless orthodoxy. Like don't let this be just another part of your spiritual apathy. Give from a pure and glad heart. You need to ask God to give you joy in your giving. But, but friends, know that I think the best news of Malachi 3, 6 to 12 is that based upon the truth that he never changes, he then calls you to return to him. But the really good news is, is that that is not a condemning call. He's calling you to do this, but it's a welcoming call. Do you see that in this passage? you see the, the tone of that here? Like he's calling you to return to him in this area of your life. But there's also uh, a pro this promise that he will return to you. It's a welcoming call. This is, this is prodigal son. Come, come home to me. Your, your father is welcoming you back with open arms. Like friends, it's never too late to change. You're never too far gone. Listen, maybe your ex doesn't welcome you back. But God always does. Amen? He's always welcoming you back. Listen, you can always turn to tithing because God always wants to bless you. Uh, when pastors preach on tithing, I think there's this temptation to tell these, like, really spectacular stories. Like, you know, the guy who started tithing, and then he, like, closed the biggest deal of his life, and he got the major raise that he never got before. And listen, I sometimes feel those stories are a little bit manipulative, okay? So, for example, like, and, and, and I will say, just to be gracious here, like I, I think the reason why people tell those stories is because they want you to know, that they want you to rest in the Lord. 
Okay, they, they want you to, to trust in the Lord to provide for you. I, I read a kind of a neat story, kind of in maybe in that category this week. It was about a, an 89-year-old saint. She'd been tithing for years, but she's on a fixed income. And she decided, listen, because of my fixed income, I, I, I need to stop tithing. Stop tithing. And she felt conviction about it. And so she be, decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust the Lord here, and I'm going to begin tithing uh, again. And when she began tithing, uh, a friend from church gifted her a trip. And, and, and then uh, there was a, a local charity in her community, and, and she won this grant for them to pay their, her utility bill. And then uh, her bank, because she was coming up on her 90th birthday, uh, they blessed her with $90 in her account. And, and so it was this great story of her faithfulness in these different ways that God blessed her. But, but I think I like Tommy's story better. I like Tommy's story better because I think it really illustrates the journey that many of us have had with tithing. Tommy grew up in a, in a Christian home. His father was a committed tither, and he, he discipled his children to be that way. And so, you know, when, when Tommy got his, his first, like, part-time high school job, uh, he, he began tithing to the Lord. And so, uh, you know, as a college student and as a high school kid, he had these part-time jobs, and he was always faithful to tithe. But when he became a, a young adult, he had three big things kind of in succession that, that happened in his life. He got his first full-time job, uh, he got married, and then he purchased his, his first home. But dads, you know what all that is. Like, the numbers just got bigger, okay? Like, like this was a bigger paycheck, but there were bigger bills. And so he was just feeling the burden of tithing. So he went back to his dad and just, just laid that burden on him. Man, I'm supposed to tithe with this type of money? And, and his dad validated his fears and his feelings. But, but he just challenged him, saying, listen, God, God will bless you if you're faithful in this area. Tommy committed to tithing again as a young adult. And, and not long after, um, uh, he closed a really uh, impressive big deal with his company. And as a result of that, he got this nice big commission check. They, they gave him a raise as a result of it. And so in his mind, he really connected these two things. Okay, I was faithful to tithe, and God really blessed me in this way. And so when people would talk about tithing, he would go back to that story just to encourage them. Well, you don't want to tithe. Let me tell you, let me tell you what happened to me. But, but then a, a few years later, Tommy stepped out on his own, and he started a new company. If you ever started a new company, you know how that goes, right? It, it's, it's scary. It's filled with a lot of risk, a lot of unknowns. It can hit big, but it can also bomb big, right? Well, what happened with Tommy is he said, listen, I'm going to commit to tithe. And he really believed that he was tithing to the Lord. The Lord would bless his business. It didn't go as he planned. And in fact, after a few years of hard work, the industry changed and Tommy lost his business. He went through the emotional loss, the financial loss, but spiritually he wrestled with, okay, wait a second. I, I thought if I tithe and God promised to bless me, like why didn't he bless my business? That's a fair question to ask. They went to a small group leader and laid that before him. Hey, you know, is God not honoring his word? What's going on here? I was faithful to God, and why did this not work out? And his small group leader, I think pretty wisely, said, question, hey, are, are you trying to manipulate God with your tithe? He told Tommy that God is not a, a God who will be manipulated. And he asked Tommy if, if he believed the blessings of God were only financial, which was a good charge, and he really heard that. As his career and as his life progressed, uh, his expenses increased, his kids were getting older, and so he's trying to prepare for college and paying for cars and braces. And, and, and once again, this issue came up because as he calculated his bills, he said, listen, if I could just not tithe, we could do everything that we're supposed to do. And so he brought that to a close Christian friend. And if he was honest, he was kind of wanting his friend to say, yeah, take a break from this. 
and, and, and then come back to it later. But his friend said, you know what? I wonder if you have an, in, uh, an issue of control in your heart, that you're not willing to, to trust the Lord with your future. Again, Tommy really heard his friend's perspective and resolved to keep tithing. Now, as this, his journey goes, that after his last kids left the house, Tommy, as an empty nester, was at his peak earning potential. He'd started a second business. This one was very successful. And over the years of tithing, he had grown to trust God more and to hold his life and his future more with an open hand. He really been sanctified in that way. Tithing had been this sanctifying experience for him. However, in these empty nester years, he found this new thing that came about. He found joy in giving. Here's kind of where this all lands. But Tommy said that, listen, he, he, he was never much of a teacher, he says, but, but he liked to serve. And because of his business background, he'd been on the financial committee with his church. He had served on the mission team. And, and in those two teams, he, he really found joy knowing that, man, you know, I, I see what the Lord does with the funds of a church. And as he got older, the, the staff of the church got younger, and he, he kind of loved them in a different way, kind of with that grandfatherly way. And he really cared for these young families, and, and he found joy that his giving was, was caring for these families. But, but then on the missions team, he saw, okay, this is what these funds are doing all around the world, and, and he found joy in knowing that, okay, my giving is spreading the gospel everywhere around the world, and I get to participate in the mission of God. But, but his real ministry, his real maybe love or passion in the church is that every month he and his wife would go serve in the nursery. And their favorite thing in the church was just to get to hold the babies. And so when the church came around and had a building project where they were going to expand the children's and students' area. They gave eagerly to it. They found joy giving, knowing that those monies were going to go to minister to those babies. Here's what Tommy admitted at the end. He said that it is true that God blesses those who tithe. But, but he kind of gave a, a, not a qualification, but a clarification. He said that, however, after a lifetime of tithing, I have to admit that the blessings were not what I expected in my 20s and my 30s. However, now that I'm older, I found that the blessings are much better than what I expected. There's a lot of wisdom there. Friends, I, I like his story because it highlights maybe the journey that we're all on with this issue. It has real potential to produce real sanctification in your life. And the end of sanctification is joy. However, I also think it highlights that we need a lot of grace <laughs> along the way. I don't know where you are in your journey with tithing, but, but know that God's heart is to bless you through the discipline of tithing. And hear me, if you're a tither, those funds are going to bless so many people. But God's heart from this passage is to bless you through your tithe. No matter where you are on, the, on this journey, Turn to tithing because God is with you. God is for you. He never changes, and his heart is to bless you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for this passage, and for me, this is a very challenging reminder. But Lord, as we hear the rebuke of the passage, I also pray that we would hear the good news of the passage, that you never change that means that we can trust you with all things, our money, and with our future, and that your heart is to bless us, and it's never too late to return. So, Lord, I pray that uh, 
that this passage would be received with open hearts. Not that somebody, me, or this passage, or anybody else is trying to manipulate anybody, but that we would just receive this with an open heart. And Lord, I, I know your heart is to bless. Your heart is to not manipulate, but, but to draw your people closer to you so that we can experience the joy of communion. Lord, I pray that we would experience that with our giving. I pray that we would give with our right hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray.